Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today, our millennials take on the church. Okay, and uh, this is a response to an article by the man sitting at my left here, uh, Sean Eaton, who wrote a piece called 12 Reasons Millennials Are Over Church." And <laughs> it's okay. You're okay. Yeah, you got to take responsibility for it. So anyway, uh, uh, Sam is uh, over a ministry called Recklessly Alive. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that ministry? Yeah. So I started a suicide prevention and mental health ministry uh, where I talk about my experiences with that. I've been writing a book. Uh, a lot of people don't know. 2015 was a 30-year high for a suicide rate in our country, hmm. and so I'm working really hard to change that and give those people who've lost all hope the hope of Jesus. Oh, that's great! And you're a public school teacher in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah, I teach K through five elementary music. Oh, wow! A lot of beautiful little kids who are okay. in school right now. That's great. So, well, we thank you for coming all the way down from Minneapolis to come see us down here in Texas. Give you a little warmth, you know. <laughs> True? Yeah. Thank, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Very good. And then Nika Spaulding. Now, I've, that's got this long title for yeah. you. It, what is it? Director of Women's Equipping and Curriculum at Watermark yeah. Church here in Dallas. Yeah. Is that, it is means that, I hang out with all the double X chromosomes at Watermark. Is that that's what, what it is? Yeah. So lead the Bible studies and hang out with the women. Love yeah. Them. I know you do much more damage than that. So uh, yeah. That's for another time. Yeah, yeah. Exactly right. So we're glad to have you. I've, I've been on their podcast, <laughs> yeah. so I'm paying her back now. Yeah, so uh, so anyway, so it's great to have you with us, Nike. And then Kat Armstrong, who I just found out is a Houstonian like I am. Yes. And I love your way you describe yourself. You're a rookie parent. Yes. So what exactly does that mean? I have a four-year-old. Okay. So I'm pretty busy these days uh-huh. chasing him around. I mean, I work full-time, but yeah, I'm a rookie parent. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> That's good. So we look forward to the to the results of that right down the years. Exactly right. When yeah, we're in the post-millennial so. generation and yes. they write a piece on why post-millennials are over the church. Yes, I'll be the – yes. <laughs> we're, we're not saving for college. We're just saving for therapy. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Um, And you also run a ministry called Polish. Tell us a little bit about that. I serve as the executive director, and I co-founded this nonprofit nine years ago Mm -hmm. with another DTS grad, and we share the gospel with young professional women that are de-churched, unchurched, or over-churched. Okay. I like that. De-churched, that's an interesting phrase. I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit about that as we we move along. Well, that's that's our our crew here. Let me introduce what we're going to talk about. Um, As I mentioned, Sam wrote a piece a while ago called 12 Reasons Millennials Are Over Church. Now, I do a lot of speaking, and because I hang out in the seminary, I get asked a lot of questions about millennials when I speak, and it's usually coming from an older generation, the generation that I belong to, and usually the question goes something like this. It's expressed in a variety of ways depending on how soft or hard the question wants to be asked, but basically the thrust of the question is, 
why don't millennials get it or what's wrong with millennials or whatever and I find myself defending millennials on a regular basis because mm-hmm. I hang out with y'all and it, and y'all are cool and so uh, <laughs> I know yeah, yeah <laughs> just awesome right, right? Yes. just awesome okay. and so and 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 I, the point I like to make is is that there are sensitivities that exist in the millennial generation that somehow we miss those genes on our end and uh, and they're good they're good traits they're things that people ought to be concerned about and ought to listen listen to and then and then I slip in on the side that as a boomer I've got a few concerns too so <laughs> anyway so this should be a fun conversation the article opens like this only four percent of the millennial generation are Bible-based believers this means that 96 percent of Millennials likely don't live out the teachings of the Bible value the morals of Christianity and probably won't be found in a church and so uh, the article is an attempt to explain why so you've gone through really 12 reasons that you think uh, are are aspects of why millennials struggle uh, with the church. Um, and you've got some other statistics uh, further on. It says only two in ten Americans under 30 believe attending a church is important or worthwhile. 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance believing the church does more harm than good. So they're the least likely age group of anyone to attend church, and this is so by far. This is something we hear about regularly, um, and uh, and Kat and I have uh, have ha- gone through a period uh, after the election in which we also discussed this issue more privately about what's going on, particularly with millennial women. So we'll come to that down the road, but I'm just going to dive in, okay? Number one. <laughs> Nobody's listening to us. I am. You might be. You're one of the few. I'm a few, huh? Okay. It says millennials value voice and receptivity above all else. When church forges ahead without ever asking for our input, we get the message loud and clear. Nobody cares what we think. Why then should we blindly serve an institution that we cannot change or shape? And then you get, you do have suggestions for solutions, creating regular outlets for young adults, inviting millennials to serve on leadership teams and boards, and hiring a young adults pastor who has the desire and skill set to connect with millennials. So that's a good start. Fill it out. What? How do I? How do I do a better job of listening? Yeah, just just start by getting to know the people in your church. Uh, millennials just wanna. Man, they just want to voice what's inside of them and what's going on. I think we'll talk a little bit later, but most importantly, they want people walking with them, not not preaching at them. Mm-hmm. And if you're always, if it's only a one-way conversation, uh, I just don't feel like going, quite mm-hmm. honestly, uh, because I've got a lot of experience too mm-hmm. that, that I want to share and bring to the table. Not that I have all the answers, um, but I want to be heard. I think, and that's just a human trait. I think everybody wants to be heard and seen. Mm-hmm. Okay, and. Yeah, I think, and I think we were taught that our voice matters, right? You think about the education system, I'm sure mm-hmm. you feel this, you know, you, gone are the days of rows, right? And everybody's facing the teachers. Now you go into classrooms and they're sitting in tables, there's collaboration. Mm-hmm. And we're taught that that's a really high value mm-hmm. of our society. And so when you walk into a church and the only opportunity you have is pews facing forward and there's not a chance for collaboration or to be heard, uh, it can't help but be received at times that, that we're not being listened to and, and that our voice doesn't matter. And so I think um, we're, we are the largest generation and the, probably the most studied, right? So the yeah. research is out there to learn about us yeah. as well as within your church. And so I think uh, for those hoping to reach millennials, I think the information is certainly out there and available for them to look at. 
And you're not as strange as people suggest. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, no, we're pretty weird, but yeah. uh, but we're we're earnest, and I think I think people enjoy getting to know us for sure. Yeah, I think the earnestness is a, is a good word. Uh, that there is a sensitivity to millennials that I think drives a lot of their concerns at a relational level that are important to yeah. the church, and so from that standpoint, certainly uh, worth. Um, Turning an ear towards Cat. Any any observations on that one? Nobody's listening to us. I think there, yeah. There's definitely um, a gap between the folks who have left, mm-hmm. like they've made their exit. Yeah. And so we also need to have conversations who, with folks who um, have completely left, and mm-hmm. that just takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to it, if I'm married to a pastor, that and Nike is a pastor, I mean, you just. There are so few resources, so Mm -hmm. little time, and so many needs. Mm -hmm. So many times we gravitate towards the people who have the loudest voice inside the church. Mm -hmm. And what millennials, what Sam's written about is that they've left. Mm -hmm. So now the conversation's even more challenging because we have to go to them, Mm -hmm. start a relationship, and then really listen. Okay, so that's one group, the group that kind of needs to be approached and almost in one sense won back. And then there's another group that's kind of floating around the edges, still hanging in there, okay, but assessing, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's a that's a challenging group as well. Okay, well I'm I'm well this is I'm building the the atmosphere here for this. Number 2. Okay? <laughs> All right. We're sick of hearing about values and mission statements. <laughs> Oh, man, I love this one. Uh, uh, and then I, I love the way you open the – sweet Moses, people, give it a rest. Okay, so enough about mission. Okay, of course an organization, it's important to be moving in the same direction, but that should uh, that should be easier for Christians than anyone else because we already have a leader to follow. And then you talk about the core commandments of loving God and loving others. Uh, so why does the church need a mission statement anyway? So, solution, stop wasting time on religious mumbo-jumbo and get back to the heart of the gospel. We're not impressed with the hours you brag about spending behind closed doors wrestling with Christianese words on a paper. (laughs) We're impressed with actions and service. I'm glad you don't say what you think. (laughs) uh, Sam is in that rare space where a blogger comes from behind the screen. (laughs) Exactly right. Yes, this is called an outing. (laughs) So, um, So, so tell us what's going on here. You, you're, you're really about, uh, rather than putting it words on paper and having to re-articulate what you think is transparent and obvious about what we should be engaged in, we should be engaged in it, right? Yeah. I, I think millennials are drawn to authenticity and transparency. And yes, we need a common mission. We need to know where we're going as an organization, mm-hmm. but we're just not impressed with a 10-week sermon series on the new mission statement right. for the third year in a row. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> it's just a little exhausting. Yeah, like we, yeah. We're impressed by service and, and action, it, specifically serving the poor, which we're going to talk about next. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I think, you know, as a pastor, I can totally uh, appreciate the mission statement, right? I mean, there's, uh, I think leaders have to remove confusion, bring in clarity. I think any mission statement that doesn't get at the heart of the gospel is going to be a miss, certainly for this generation. But I think part of it is you're talking about the authenticity piece. When your mission statement is only an aspirational value and not a realized one, I think that is what becomes exhausting. That if the church says, we care about the poor, we care about the disenfranchised, and we care about the gospel, and then they do, Mm -hmm. then the mission statement works. But if the mission statement is, like you say, Christianity is these words that half the time we're not even sure what they mean, and then we don't see that 
that movement, I think that is what becomes exhausting. And so as someone on a church staff, I'm like, well, hey, I think, you know, I have goals I want to put out there for my women. We have vision. I, you know, I, I do sit in those meetings. Uh, they can go a little long. I can totally agree <laughs> with that. Uh, but I do think to just go for, for leaders to go, are we about this mission that we keep putting in front of our people? Um, because there is there is the need to continue to clarify what our vision is because it leaks. It leaks out. You mm-hmm. need to keep doing that. Um, but if you say you're about the poor, then be about the poor. If you say you're about the gospel, then, gosh, I hope your church is evangelizing on a regular basis. You know, And so those are some of the things I think I'm seeing among our generation. So. Kat, what would I see you? I totally agree. Okay, so I think you really hit on something. I think it's integrity mm-hmm. for this millennial generation. Mm-hmm. I think that they value integrity at such a deep part of their core. It's almost hard for me to talk about. I mean, I think that they have were listening. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. I think many times we look at millennials and we think, oh, they're just snowflakes, or they're whiny, or they're mm-hmm. uncommitted, or they're fickle. Easy. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that I hear this a lot. Uh-huh. I hear this a lot. And you know what it comes down to? Humans are broken. So mm-hmm. I think that those problems existed in every generation. I think millennials are serious about integrity in a mm-hmm. way we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. So when they say, look, I, I hear your mission statement, I need it to actually align with the output. And then also, if you say you're really about loving God and loving others, why do you have so much time devoted to, to parsing a sentence that mm-hmm. we're going to put on a brochure? Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of it has to do with Let's have some integrity behind our words. Mm-hmm. So, so you're talking about a walk that comes alongside the talk Absolutely. that's really in there. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you got James on your side, probably Jesus, the one who hears the <laughs> word of God and does it. That kind of thing. Those are probably good allies to have. Sure. So, um, so, so that that's point two. Well taken. Okay, helping the poor isn't a priority. Now, this is a com- this is a legitimate complaint. I think my heart is broken for how radically self-centered and utterly American our institution has become. Let's clock the number of hours the average church attender spends in church-type activities, Bible studies, meetings, groups, social functions, book clubs, planning meetings, talking about building a meeting, discussing a new mission statement, and you've even got dot, 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 which means the list goes on. Uh, now, let's clock the number of hours spent serving the least of these, and then, oh, awkward. Solutions. Stop creating more Bible studies and Christian activity. Community happens best in service with a shared purpose. Survey your members asking them what injustice or cause God has placed on their hearts, then connect people who have similar passions, and then create group serve dates once a month where anyone can show up and make a difference. I know I'm in a, in a group that um, occasionally, instead of meeting together for dinner and just sharing, uh, actually uh, tries periodically to engage in ministries around uh, around the city. Uh, we've done, we, we've gone into the um, into some of the ministries that are that are feeding the poor and that kind of thing. But that really is that's just a start. I mean, really, what you're talking about is a regular commitment to reflect on on what's going on. So let's fill that one out. Helping the poor isn't isn't a priority. We need to see more of that. Well, let's start by clarifying. I'm not saying we shouldn't study the Word of God. We should oh, be studying that okay. every single day. You okay. should be in a Bible study. You should be in a small group. But if that's it, you're kind of missing the point of right. this, this book. Right. Uh, I don't. I just don't know how you can read James or Matthew 25, the least of these, and mm-hmm. not and then just go back to your normal American life and mm-hmm. and and not live it out like we were just talking about. Uh, yeah, and even more so, uh, just. Um, I'm just going to let that go. Okay. All right. So pass it off to you. Sorry. Cat? 
I, I, okay, so not to drive back this integrity issue, but I mm-hmm. think it goes back to that again mm-hmm. of them saying, okay, I've read the book. I've mm-hmm. read the good book. I've sat in a lot of sermons. I've filled up on the truth, mm-hmm. and now I need to go out and do it. So mm-hmm. I think that they're really aligning their values with their speech, mm-hmm. and we're starting to see, again, I keep using that word, but integrity. Yeah, and one of the tensions that I think we have is, is that churches tend to create activities that operate around the church, but ultimately the church is designed to have an arrow that's going out. Mm-hmm. And so it isn't designed for what's happening within the four walls. It actually is designed to be engaged in mission, engaged with other people, engaged in taking the gospel uh, out. And that's, that is going to require time and sacrifice in order to happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a really global generation. So when we talk about poverty, they're not just even looking in the local context. I mean, they're looking across the globe mm-hmm. and demanding accountability for government structures and things like that as well. And so. I think they feel the need. I mean, I think they, they're traveling, they're seeing things that sure. they maybe only read about in past generations. And so, um, which, and then they've been told their whole lives, hey, the church's job, and this is sort of the culture I grew up, the church's job is care for the poor, the government's job is not right. And right, so now right. we're even in this political landscape of where they're going, but the church is not. And yeah. you're telling me I can't vote for somebody because that's not their, you know, and so yeah. it's getting even more muddy. Yeah. Um, and so I think this issue is going to continue to be something that, uh, the more missionally minded churches, I think, are going to continue to see younger generations come in because they f- they deeply feel that burden for the poor. The way I like to talk about it is the world gets bigger and smaller simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is is that we're aware of far more. We're aware of more. Which more of what more is going on because our news is much more global than it was, although American news is actually pretty tightly yeah. uh, confined. I've lived in Europe and, and um, you know, you turn on a news broadcast in Europe and you're looking at seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve countries in a 30-minute period. Uh, here if you go overseas, it's, it's for a few minutes unless you do a documentary or something like that. But it's – but still, the point is there are a lot of needs out there that can be met. and and actually. Most ministry um, that's designed to be effective and that you can really put your hands on and put a stamp on that has an impact is local. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, and unless you're engaged in ministry uh, through a mission organization or something like that, most people's experience is going to be a local impact, have a local impact, and have a local ministry. Okay, well, we're, get, we're behind, so let's see if I can catch up. Uh, okay, four. We're tired of you blaming the culture. I'm feeling a little beat up. But that's okay. uh, um, uh, from Elvis hips to rap music. Oh my goodness. Um, from Footloose to twerking, every older generation comes to the same conclusion. The world is going to pot faster than the state of Colorado. We're aware of the downfalls of the culture. Believe it or not, we're actually living in it too. Solutions. Put the end times rhetoric to rest, focus on real solutions and real impact for our immediate community, and explicitly teach us how our lives should differ from the culture. If this teaching isn't happening in your life, check out the book Weird Because Normal Isn't Working by Prab Gorshel. So there's even a, a direct suggestion here. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, this one I'm going to push back a little bit on, but I'm going to push back in kind of a, a crazy way. I think you're right. I think that sometimes the church oftentimes does blame the culture, and most of the stuff that you hear about the culture is negative. I like to tell my students that when you look at the culture, you ought to look for the what I call the gropings for God or the gropings mm. for purpose. That if you do that, you actually have the opportunity to build some bridges yeah. towards what 
the Bible is trying to pull us towards. And so I do think that um, that rather than always blaming the culture or speaking the culture negatively, we do need to do a better job of looking for those places where we can connect to the culture. But there's always going to be that challenge there because the culture is something Scripture does talk about a little bit. It calls it the world, and that's generally not a positive yeah. recommendation. So responses, I'll let you. I'll go into. Uh, that for yeah, this I one. think the world. Uh, yeah, I've steady dose of movies are going to be the end of me and things like that, right? And then, <laughs> yeah. but I think what you're getting at, I think, is so right, Dr. Bach. Is I think millennials need help to interpret the culture. They're not the option to not be in it is is pretty much gone. I mean, things right. that our parents vigilantly try to keep us from being exposed to, we walk out of our houses and see. Right. Uh, and so, rather than hearing it's it's evil and dangerous because we have a hard time disconnecting the culture from those who are in it that we love as well. Mm-hmm. Help us interpret it. Help us see a worldview in it. Help us to see. I think the beauty that is in certain art forms that maybe we would have said, please don't go see that. And now going, well, there is a redemptive message in that. Mm-hmm. And there's still a part of it that I do need to say, hey, that is of the world and not of the things that are righteous and good and and should be in front of me. And I think that kind of teaching requires nuance, and Mm -hmm. that's scary. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important that uh, those who are teaching the Word can can handle that kind of nuance and go, hey, here's how we're going to help you navigate this world that is utterly broken Mm -hmm. and yet has redemptive value throughout it that we can find and mine out of it and see. Yep. Uh, Any other thoughts? I love that you brought this up. Uh, Sam, I really do because I think that when we blame shift on society, I think there there's we double click on it too much. Mm. That we think, okay, this is obviously society, obviously our culture has ruined this millennial generation. When I, I think a lot of times millennials are living out exactly what they've been reared to live. Mm. And I think if we send them out and say, This is your enemy, culture's your enemy, society's your enemy. Um, they're proposing things to you that are not true. We can come back and go, okay, at the end of the Beauty and the Beast, all things were restored and renewed. You know, that's one simple example of a movie that we're hearing a lot of pushback on that's society or culture and how it's ruining our generation. Or, And at the end of the day, we can look at that just like you said and build some bridges to the gospel mm-hmm. and nuance what we're teaching our younger generation on how to face culture. Okay, five, really, really quickly. You, the you can't sit with us effect. There's a life-changing movie all humans must see regardless of gender, and that, of course, is the 2004 <laughs> classic Mean Girls. Obviously. Okay, confession, I haven't seen it. Oh, uh, in the film, the most popular girl in school forgets to wear pink on a Wednesday, Cardinal Sin, to which Gretchen Weiner screams, you can't sit with us. So what, what exactly is this one all about? And we've got really hustle on this one. I've just heard so many people talk about churches like a high school where mm-hmm. there are cliques and nobody is welcome. Mm-hmm. I've lived that out over and over again. I've talked to my mom about it who isn't a part of church as much anymore, and she feels the same way. Mm-hmm. So we have to find a way to be more welcoming, more compassionate, and, and get people connected and stop, stop blaming them for not being connected. Okay. Fair enough. But let me, let me just stop and, and make a little bit of an observation. I think a lot of the aspirations that you talk about are aspirations that are shared across the church, yeah. that people want to have authenticity, that they want to have integrity, that they want churches to be uh, better, more sensitive, more engaged, et cetera. Of course, one of the tensions that everyone has is, is the management of all the time that that takes with 
rookie moms who raise kids, right, and, and that kind of thing. And so uh, one of the challenges is helping the church actually get there and think about how to get there and, and the prioritization that it takes to get there. We'll talk about that. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So six, distrust and misallocation of resources. Over and over again, we've been told to tithe and give 10% of our income to the church. But where does that money actually go? Millennials, more than any other generation, don't trust institutions, for we've witnessed over and over how corrupt and self-serving they can be. We want painstaking transparency. We want to see the church's homepage. On the church's homepage, a document where we can track every dollar. Oh, this is exciting. A web page with an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> so, um, so solution, go out of your way to make all your financial records readily accessible. Create an environment of frugality. Move to zero-based budgeting where departments aren't allocated certain dollar amounts but are asked to justify each purchase. And challenge the church staff to think about the opportunity costs. Could these dollars be better used to serve the kingdom? Nike, I'm going to start off with you since you manage <laughs> Yeah, part of a budget in yeah. The so a no, challenge? I think you should tithe more, and ministers should get paid more. So, <laughs> uh, you know, this is an interesting one because I I feel the burden of not only leading millennials but also Gen Xers, baby every generation. And so um, the frugality part has a give and a take as well. I mean, if if I had uncomfortable chairs and and very little resources that maybe millennials would feel more comfortable with. My older generation might not as much, but I do think what you're driving at is this sense of it is really important that we manage our money well and that I can justify where every dollar goes. And Mm -hmm. so we just have a rule where if my budget went on the front of the Dallas Morning News, would I be comfortable with that? And I think that holds me to a different level of accountability as opposed to, well, we can go eat at that fancy lunch that maybe 60% of my body can't even afford to eat on their regular basis. That does make people uncomfortable and maybe rightfully so. And so I I think this is one where uh, I would be uncomfortable with my salary going on the web page, maybe not that level of transparency, um, but but maybe maybe more transparency is I think a, a broader issue, and so especially when you think about debt, and I think that is part of it, where we're being told, hey, don't you know take on all this debt to buy this house, all this, we're being, you know, lectured all the time of you guys are living beyond your means. And then you look at this $5 million debt of a building and mm-hmm. you kind of go, well, I mean, pot calling the kettle back here a little bit. And so mm-hmm. I think where the money's going, should absolutely people have access to that. And then I think every every minister has got to go, Am I, do I feel comfortable with this? Would I feel comfortable telling the 20-year-old who just gave me the 10% of their $12,000 salary and the 60-year-old who's a little bit more, you know, farther along that also gave me 10% of their $150,000 salary? Am I valuing their contributions and am I taking those into consideration as we spend money? And I think that's a huge call. 
Kat? We've gotten a lot of pushback with Polish specifically when we launch new chapters mm-hmm. because we're serving millennials. Mm-hmm. They want uh, they want the Excel spreadsheet printed out. They mm-hmm. want QuickBooks to output all of those documents, right? Mm-hmm. They want to see the PNL themselves. Mm-hmm. And so we've learned that we actually pass those out up front to people who might volunteer with us because mm-hmm. of exactly what Sam's saying. They want to know every category where we're spending dollars. Mm-hmm. And many times it's not because it is because they want to hold us accountable. It's mm-hmm. also because they want to contribute. Mm-hmm. So they want to go, you know what? I've got so I know somebody who can do this video for us for mm-hmm. free or mm-hmm. I work for a company that does this pro bono work. Mm-hmm. So we've definitely felt that. Um, it was scary at me for at first, mm-hmm. honestly, to put that much out there. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is that you get a lot of buy-in when you can say this is where every dollar is going. Okay. Well, and good. I just want to jump in quick. Yeah. I think you'll find the nonprofit world is doing this a lot better than the church world. If you can go to Compassion International and mm-hmm. on their homepage, you can see their tax returns from last year. Mm-hmm. And that gives me the freedom to give. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to give. I want to give to mm-hmm. them because I can see that see that what, what's happening a with them. Exactly. Okay, seven. We want to be mentored, not preached at. Uh, preaching just doesn't reach our generation like our parents and grandparents. That's something we need to talk about. Okay. <laughs> See millennial church attendance. We have millions of podcasts and YouTube videos of pastors of the world uh, uh, over at our finger fingertips. I do think that makes a, a difference in this. For that reason, the currency of good preaching is at its lowest value in history. Millennials crave relationships to have someone walking beside them through the muck. Solutions. Create a database of adult mentors and young adults looking for someone to walk with them. Ask the older generation to be intentional with the millennials in your church. I think what I'm hearing in this, tell me if I'm wrong, is beyond the mere message at 11 o'clock on Sunday, there are relationships that we are really after and, and relationships that, that mean something. Yeah, let me clarify. I'm okay. not saying don't preach the gospel. Of course, preach the, <laughs> preach the gospel every Sunday. Mm-hmm. But I'm, what I'm saying is if you're relying on that to drive millennials into your church, it's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm struggling with fear today, I can sit at home in my sweatpants and find 50 sermons by Francis Chan about fear. Right. And so, yes, keep preaching, but also come around us. Mm-hmm. Mentor. I mean, mentoring is discipling, right? That's right. what we're talking about here, is, right. is teach me how to leave, live, these, live these things out. Don't just talk at me. And I, th- I think the important thing here is, is that what the local church can give that a Francis Chan may not be able to, at least quite to this level, is a localized form of the walk of faith, which is important in, in actually being in context. Now, that assumes that the pastor who's doing the preaching knows his congregation <laughs> and interacts with the congregation in a significant kind of way, which is a whole another conversation. But still, the point is, is that there is a way to engage with, with, with people in their local setting. I tell, I tell my students, when you preach and think, think about all the vocations that are represented in that room from 9 to 5 on Monday to Friday, and do a little preaching into that space and time. Uh, because that's where most people's struggles are, are coming from, and that's what they're wrestling with. So it's an important conversation, it seems to me, to think about uh, think about uh, how to put together the relational aspects of what church is supposed to be next to the message and content that's that's coming. You know, one of the things that the older generation does say regularly to the younger generation is there are content needs that also exist here that have to be dealt with and have to be uh, have to be approached and. And, and preaching, at least, is one aspect of doing that. But your response back oftentimes is, yeah, but preaching alone, words alone aren't enough. We need to see it in practice. 
That's all very, very fair. Number eight, we want to feel valued. Now, I think you've said this in a variety of ways in, in several spots. It says, churches tend to rely heavily on the young adults to serve. You're single. What else do you have to do? This actually is going to tap into something I want to turn in kind of a gender direction a little bit, and that is not only, not only is this a legitimate complaint, but sometimes the way we ask certain people to serve in the church is restricted by the way we perceive their value yeah. to be. So, so uh, we want to feel value. Manilius are told by this world from the second we wake up to the second we take a sleeping pill, we aren't good enough. We desperately need the church to tell us we are enough exactly the way we are, no conditions or expectations. Then solutions, return to point one listening and go out of your way to thank people who are giving so much of their life to the church. So appreciation for that value is also important. Floor's open. Yeah, I think for the gender one, I mean, Kat and I have talked at length about this, and not only uh, do I read the articles about why millennials are leaving, but I'm also reading articles that talks about the massive exodus of women leaving the church as well. And um, you have women today who are more educated than they've ever been. They're CEOs of companies. Kat's the CEO of a company. She started her own ministry. Um, and then let's take Kat, for example, and she walks into a church and she's told, well, your husband can serve in this capacity and we would love for you to hold babies, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. there's a sense of Kat's going, I I have real transferable skills and gifts that I'd love to use and the margin to use them. And so I think that's part of where transitional leadership is going to be huge in the church, that we have to continue to make space for real for young leaders to not be looked down upon because they're young, but given opportunities to use their gift, male and female. And obviously, for what's appropriate for your particular expression of the church and, and all of that, but um, where women can use their gifts, you know, you've got these lawyers and these doctors and these CEOs walking into your congregation now. Um, let's use them. Let's deploy them. They have real skills and gifts. And so I think that's really important, Sam, a point just to see them and use them. And then to affirm that contribution to the Absolutely. church is very, very important and to, and to keep your eye on that. Uh, anything else on this one? You know, Aaron, my husband was the singles pastor and young adults pastor for several years. Now he's the lead pastor. I've been working with young professional women, mostly single or young married. And overarching all of this is a conversation about just that word you use, value. Do you really want us here? You say you want us, and then we haggle over why they aren't coming, Mm -hmm. right? But then when they do show up, everything's about families, families, families. Mm -hmm. And I have a family, Mm -hmm. and yet I hear that word on Sunday morning and my ears perk up because I've brought a whole row of young professional women Mm -hmm. um, that have been divorced or Mm -hmm. going through a divorce or are single and loving it, Mm -hmm. or maybe they're adopting, I have a girlfriend adopting a child and she's single. so I think that there we are placing a lot of value. I've I've preached about this many times. Marriage and motherhood mm-hmm. for women have been elevated to a place of idolatry. Mm-hmm. And if we've got to start really from the pulpit undermining some of these idols and elevating Mark 12, 30 and 31, mm-hmm. you know, that we're women, men, singles, married, divorced, whatever it is. We're called to love God with everything, and mm-hmm. we're called to love everyone. But we've really nuanced what that looks like in the church. And I think millennials have just said, yeah, that's not my life. I, I can't even relate to anyone on stage that looks like me, talks like me, or has a lifestyle like I do. Mm. And so we've, like Nika said, we've got to make some room on stage for singles divorced, young married with kids, right? Working women, um, men staying home. I mean, I know I'm touching, you know, stepping on some toes, Mm -hmm. but if we have a singular focus on Sunday morning, 
that's who we will attract. And what what Nika hit on is that millennials, uh, specifically women, they've surpassed the amount of men obtaining advanced educational degrees. Sharon Miller put this in Christianity Today mm-hmm. in 2011. And the title of her article was Women Are the Newest U.S. Mission Field. Mm-hmm. And it described at length women are having children later in life. They're mm-hmm. choosing to have less children. So over 70% of them are going to work full-time for the rest of their lives. And the church hasn't necessarily calibrated to that. Mm-hmm. So then when we come, when Sam says, we want to feel valued. I know as a professional woman, I show up on Sunday, and I don't. Only from my husband have I heard sermons about women in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, applying the sermon as right. a woman to my job, mm-hmm. or uh, so I, I'll leave it at that. But I think singles as well. There's a really significant amount of work we've got to do, and you've talked about it at the podcast before. Yeah, we do a lot of faith and work stuff, and um, actually, I had meetings last week with um, over the last month. Actually, I've had two meetings with two different women who work with. Uh, women in the professional world and we're talking about how do we make you know that space clear to people and have people think through what that looks like uh, from the standpoint of the church we could spend a ton more time here I, I, I but time calls uh, number nine we want you to talk to us about controversial issues because no one is okay I think this is the black hole in this list and what I mean by that I, I couldn't agree with this more um, this is uh, this is what our the table podcast literally have been all about from the start it, it is to walk into those areas of you know life in a broken world is a life lived intention how do we help Christians? walk into that tension, embrace the reality that's there, and then think through how to live uh, in that context Christianly. That's, that's really what we're, we're all about. And so the idea, of, uh, the idea of, of stepping back from these controversial issues because it's too political or whatever, uh, I don't think that works for people. They're looking for help. And they're, what they want, they don't want us to speak into the politics. They want us to speak into the spiritual dimensions of what's going on and how to assess it, that most of the debates that we have are full of tension uh, and negotiating tension. And both sides, in some cases, are, are oftentimes raising legitimate elements. But what doesn't happen is we don't put those elements side by side in relationship to one another in a way that's healthy in terms of how we talk about them, et cetera. I'm talking too much about this one. But I'm just going to open it up. Uh, we want us to talk about control issues because no one is. That sounds like a cry for help and in, in, an, in an appropriate way it, with the hope that there is something that can be said here. Am I reading that one right? Yeah. I mean, we're living in a culture that says the biggest car, the biggest house, the best body is the way to happiness. And we know that's not true. At least we're starting to figure that out because we're coming to church. That's what we're doing. But we need the truth. We need the truth. We can't sugarcoat what's going on. We can't avoid these things. Tell us what the Bible says about these issues and then give us some space to wrestle with it ourselves and mm-hmm. let us talk to God about about what the Bible says on homosexuality or, or any of those issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to talk about these things. Yeah. I think gone are the days, too, of propriety in our culture where there were even some contexts where you didn't discuss politics. I mean, you didn't discuss it in certain – and that is gone with – I mean, there's yeah. there's not a safe space for me that I'm not going to get bombarded by some question of what happened in the news anytime I'm with young people. And so I think uh, that that politeness that maybe is a, is a bygone day era is just – is gone. So it's being discussed. So if I'm going to discuss it with my friend over coffee at the Starbucks and then my friend 
friend's not a believer and they ask me, what do you believe as a Christian? And then I come to my church and I, I don't feel like I can get help. That feels really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it almost feels like it puts me in a, in, a, in a position of defeat, you know? And so I think that is where... Yeah, I think um, it raises the question whether the church has anything to say into that space. And that and that's a that's a terrible place to yeah. be. Yeah, which is an interesting statistic. There's so many, you know, Kinnaman talks about the three different types of millennials, right? The nomads, the exiles, and the prodigals. And he's mm-hmm. like, really, only of the three prodigals, they're leaving Jesus. The other two are staying with Jesus. They're just leaving church. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing is they're podcasting. They're listening to you. They're listening mm-hmm. to others who are willing to take that conversation on. Mm-hmm. And it's a little safer space in here. I mean, there's no people that <laughs> right. or walk out yeah. or tithe, right? Yeah, and right. so, um, and I no do... one comments on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, but you can ignore those yeah. upfront facial meeting after you've stepped off the stage. And so I think it's going to take courage. And I believe that there are ministers that are willing to be courageous. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the call of pastors as they get equipped here and step out into the world. We're going to have to be told, hey, you're going to have to be courageous enough to talk about these issues that may land you on the front of the Dallas Morning News, but your people need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kat, anything on this one? Well, I'm thinking of Russell Russell Moore right now. Right, I right. don't know if I should bring him up, but I, I what I've seen with the young professional women I work with, unchurched, dechurched, mm-hmm. and overchurched, they look at someone like Russell Moore and they're like, yes, finally, mm-hmm. someone who I feel like is articulate, highly intelligent, theologically trained. He's willing to talk about things that make people uncomfortable. He is uh, totally fine saying this is wrong, this is right. Somewhere in the middle is where we're going to have to figure out how to coexist Mm -hmm. with each other. And I think you're going to see even more of that where there's a real safety net in knowing if I need to come to church and say, I've got some, my tennis partner has transitioned and Mm -hmm. now she is a man. Mm -hmm. You know, how am I supposed to start a conversation Mm -hmm. with her, him? You know, right, exactly. Without binary options. Without right. binary yeah. That's wrong, options. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to stop playing. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think in many ways, we, we've talked a lot about millennials and culture, and they're a product of culture. We're really in it. We're really in it, and for the purpose of seeing it all restored, all redeemed. Mm -hmm. So we need our ministers, and I'm thankful I'm married to one who's like this, to step in the mess with us Mm -hmm. and go, yeah, I haven't waded through these waters. Let's Mm -hmm. pull all the information we can from the left, from the right, from the conservative to the liberal. Let's let's wade through all of it and try to figure it out. Yeah, and I think one of the hard tensions here is, is that we all know, on the one hand, kind of what the Bible says about certain things, but then you've got to live and relate to the people who aren't there. So how do you do that pastorally well? And uh, how do you how do you uh, I, I'd say one of the greatest challenges in mission, this has always been the case, is the challenge is the combination, the tension between the challenge that the gospel makes towards people and the invitation that's bound up in it. Mm-hmm. And being able to balance those two things well is actually at the core of doing any good evangelism and ministry. And so uh, that's often a hard balance to keep because the fact is we live in a broken world and people aren't oftentimes where they ought to be. And so how do you do that well? Okay, one uh, t- I'm going to I'm going to try and bound three together here as we wrap up. The public perception. It's time to focus on changing public perception of the church within the community. This is what I call Jimmy Cagney theology, which is the church's message tends to be heard as, you dirty rat, you shouldn't be doing that, and there's no good message in there. Okay, so public perception of the church. I'm 
all aboard with what, what that represents. Eleven, stop talking about us unless you're actually going to do something. Okay, so I'm talking about you, but I have you here, all right? And, and, and then third, twelve, uh, you're failing to adapt. Here's the bottom line. Church, you are, aren't reaching millennials. Enough with the excuses and the blame. We need to accept reality and intentionally move towards this generation that is terrifyingly anti-church. Uh, the price of doing the same old thing is far higher than the price of change. And then you quote that great theologian, Bill Clinton. Uh, and, uh, I made the conservatives very happy. <laughs> and so, so, so really, this is, a, this, is a, uh, this is the way I view this entire piece. It really is a heartfelt plea from a millennial who cares about the church that the church do a better job in reaching people we all care about. Fair enough? I got a lot of hate for this. I'm just going to throw that out yeah. there. Thousands of very angry emails and comments about what I wrote, um, which has been tough. Mm-hmm. It's been tough to live in that in this tension of this was my love letter to the American church. Mm-hmm. It was. like I loved the church, like Christ loved the church, and I want to see it prospering. And I look around and I see my generation has, has left. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just sat down and started having a conversation. God, what? What? What are we missing? And, and I felt it rising up even in me, a person who's been serving in a church very steadily for the last six years. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm landing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's worth hearing. You know, we, we say – this is something I like to say, that, that Christianity is ultimately about how God changes people and transforms them. But if there's no change, there's no transformation. So how can we preach and teach transformation and then not be willing to change? That doesn't make any sense at all. So, so uh, to be challenged to do better is, uh, is not something that should threaten the church. It's something the church should welcome, particularly from, from, a, from a voice or a set of voices that says we really care about what goes on in the church. Sam, I wrote an article recently for Fathom Magazine about repentance and how reaching millennials, the conversation will have to start with, I am so sorry. Hmm. You're right. Like what you just described to me, you're right. The U.S. Census Bureau is backing it up. Your personal experience verifies it. That's on us. We messed it up. And I think that is the bridge towards change. It's first accepting some responsibility and saying, you're right, millennials. You're right. And we're so sorry. Let us rebuild it together. On the flip side, I'm working with women who've exited. They're gone. And on the flip side, I'm saying to them, we're not the same without you. So we can't fix this without you. We've got to have your voice. We've got to have your presence. We've got to have your perspective to do it. And so we're in a, a hard tension, I even know, for my husband and myself in ministry. Just we're, we're trying to bring people in who've left, but that requires them being willing to stay. And then we're also reaching folks who are like, They're, they made their bed. And they need to lie in it now. Mm-hmm. You know, they are lazy snowflakes that just need to know the word of God better. And we've got to come together. And I think that repentance is the first step, really, in restoring trust. I think that trust is completely gone mm-hmm. with millennials. And to bring them back in, we do have to be willing to say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And even in me writing that article, I got so much pushback <laughs> about, what do you mean? What do we need to be sorry about? And I think that's the disconnect. Millennials are going, See, that's why we don't feel heard, mm-hmm. because 
you would, if you had a conversation with you, me, you would know why I left. Tim Keller, now Tim Keller didn't get as much heat about it, mm-hmm. but he published something last week um, that was online, and he said the best way to reach his city with the gospel was to get to a point with someone who's unchurched or dechurched, and for them, for him to be able to say, I, I get it now. Mm-hmm. I, I And to be able to say to that unchurched person, is this what you mean? And for them to respond by saying, yes, that's exactly what I mean. Now, that is hard work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that means we're going to have to put some defenses down as the church and say, I'm going to take some ownership on this. Okay. Now, um, we obviously just got started. <laughs> uh, but I want to thank you all for coming in and talking about this. It's a very, very important topic. Um, People do need to be heard. That's why we've had you on. Uh, we want you to be heard. And then one little word of, of just encouragement. Keep talking. Keep listening. There are some things older folks are saying that also need to be heard, but that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right, so thank you. And we thank you for being a part of the table and hope you'll join us again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.